0: All of a sudden I was caught up into the that third heaven place that Paul talked about and I saw a nose and I and as I looked at that nose I couldn't decide whether it was my nose or God's nose but it was this nose in this in this place that I was caught up to and all of a sudden this nose breathed in and I could smell the worship and the praise that was being offered by the saints. It had a beautiful fragrance. Again, I couldn't tell whether it was God's nose or my nose, or whether our noses became one. But I in that dimension and in that state could smell the praise of God's saints. It has a sweet aroma. In the days ahead we are going to corporately come together and praise and in worship, and we're going to offer up incense and we are going to smell the praise. Our senses are going to go bonkers. We're going to, you know, see with our ear, with our nose, and smell with it. You know, things are going to go a little bit uh, upside down. We're going to experience things that, in the natural, make absolutely no sense at all. Recently, I was in a in a, in a worship service where, again, I was caught up and I saw a little vision. Um, Everyone was worshiping and all of a sudden I just closed my eyes and, and I saw myself as a, as a little piece of incense. We were offering up the, the, the worship, the fire was going from the body and all of a sudden I began to float up and just circle and, and move in, in this, this vapor, you know, the, the smoke that went up and ascended up into heaven. And I saw myself just ascending up to God. And I looked up and I saw a huge uh, cloud of, of banks, uh, cloud of banks, bank of clouds, very thick bank, and, and, and a hole opened up in this bank of clouds. And, and, and it opened up and the sun was, uh, was above it. And I was offered up and went into that, uh, that hole in the, in, the, in the bank of clouds and was caught up into the sun of righteousness. It was a beautiful picture. It was a wonderful experience. We are going to, in the days ahead, are going to offer an incense, a worship and a praise that is truly pleasing to God the Father, and he's going to catch it up and he's going to respond to it in ways that, that the church, that the body of Christ has not seen since the day of Pentecost. Another way that uh, that he expressed this to me is is when we come together corporately in, in these small groups of of exalting the name of Jesus Christ and coming under his headship. I saw each of us as finely ground powder of uh, of uh, wheat, you know, wheat. Uh, what's that called? Flour. And uh, when we came together corporately, we each offered up our flour and it came into one big pile and the Holy Spirit added a little water and a little salt a little oil and he kneaded it and put it all together as we're offering incense and worship and intercession and prayer and then he took and he put that one loaf into a fire and it rose so in this particular expression Again, we offer up what we have. We get rid of the, 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 the chaff and all of that kind of stuff. Um, we come in humility, which is what the, the fine flower represents. We're broken. We're fine. We're small. We put it all together. We offer it up corporately. The Holy Spirit comes in and does his work, puts us in the fire. And then all of a sudden, there's a sweet fragrance in the, in the house. And there is bread in the house. Bread in the, in the Bible represents the will of God. The will of God, then, is in the house. God, Jesus prayed, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we do this thing lawfully and, 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 and right, the will of God will come into our midst. And the very power and everything, all the substance, all of the provision in heaven will be at our disposal. When we come together as one bread. And then when that sweet fragrance of, of fresh bread is in, is in the air, then Jesus, Jesus said, where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am in, in, in the midst. Jesus will come in and he'll break that one loaf. He'll break us apart. He may break me apart and, and give me a prophetic utterance to give to someone else. And that other person may, may have a, a word of knowledge for someone else. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus, breaks us up and we feed each other. That's another expression of, of of what I'm you know, a way of expressing what I'm seeing. Another picture that symbolizes where we're going in this new expression is New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. The first verse in the book of Revelation says that these things signify things that must shortly take place. Most Christians really read the book of Revelation completely the wrong way. The book of Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ has a body. If you want to see what Jesus Christ in his body will look like in panoramic, gigantic, big picture forms you look at the book of Revelation. If you're looking for the Antichrist and credit cards and helicopters and things like that, you will not find the truth of what the book of Revelation is all about. New Jerusalem is a city that was as much there in that first century as it is today. There's just going to be more people that are going to access that city in the days ahead. All of the symbols, the beast and uh, the woman and all of these things the Bible at the beginning says that they're symbols, and you need to interpret and understand these symbols. What is New Jerusalem? New Jerusalem is us. It's us, and it's us. One day manifested here in this earth in an incredible way. It'll be a city. What does a city have? A city has provision. A city has protection. Everything that a city has in the natural, New Jerusalem is going to represent and be in this earth in the spirit. It has gigantic walls of salvation, 1,200 or so miles high. And it's made up of living stones. Guess who those living stones are, saints? They're you, and me. There's a street of gold in that city. I was talking about the word and the will and the works and the way of God. Well, there is a way of righteousness, a holy, straight way. And we Christians are going to represent and be that way. When righteous judgments are in the earth, the earth is going to, when God's uh, knowledge is in the earth, the earth will learn righteousness. And we are going to express his righteousness in the days ahead like it hasn't been in a long time. In that city is the tree of life with fruit in its seasons. Every month there's there's fruit. Hello, you know, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, fruit of the Holy Spirit. The leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. A natural tree, its glory is the leaves. And I can go into leaves and tell you all kind of things about the natural leaves and how we are going to be uh, those leaves. We're going to have the glory of God on us and we're going to give life even as natural trees give life to this earth. You know where oxygen comes from uh, that keeps the atmosphere going? Leaves, uh, leaves provide a lot of other things, so I don't want to get into it. In in that city the light in that city is God Himself. When we come together in this thing that I'm talking about lawfully, under the new covenant, under the law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus, the very glory of God, the very light of God, the very wisdom of God, the very revelation of, of all spiritual things will be in His church, I don't want to use that word, will be in His body, will be in His assembly, will be in his congregation, will be in his fellowship. Everything in that book is going to manifest in that book, in in that uh, New Jerusalem, is going to manifest in us. The church today, those people that call themselves Christians, 2 billion people out of 6 billion in the earth. They're typified, I believe, in the Mosaic Tabernacle. And let me explain, let me show you how that tabernacle uh, looks. You'll see there's a picture of it uh, right behind us, a couple of different pictures. You might might have seen various different things. Maybe maybe you've studied the tabernacle. I can't get into it. There are thousands of things that you can learn from it. I just want to bring out a, a couple of points about this tabernacle. Around this tabernacle is a tent, is a uh, um, a fence made out of linen. And around that are 12 tribes of Israel, a lot of people. And that Israel, outside of the, the fence, they represent the 2 billion people on the face of this earth today. They call themselves Christians. They're outside of that place around the tabernacle in which priests operate. But they are not priests. Only priests can get into that fenced-in area. And there are uh, millions, hundreds of millions of Christians who are not born from above who are Christians because they're born their family has been Christian, Catholic, or Lutheran for generation after generation. They're, they're Christians because it's uh, the right thing to do. You know, you're in a you're in a, uh, a state that's Catholic, and so you're Catholic because everybody in Spain is a Catholic. There are hundreds of millions of Christians who are a part of Israel, who are Christians, but but they don't have a priesthood. They don't have the anointing. They don't have. They're not born from above. They don't have the Spirit. They just they just have the name those who are born from above and and, and beyond, they call them nominal Christians. When you get into the fenced-in area, behind that linen fence, the first piece of furniture you come to is the burnt altar, and then behind that, a laver of water. And that represents being born from above. That represents being put to death on the cross. We We were buried with him. We were crucified with him. And we will be resurrected with him. And that altar... Uh, That first altar represents being born from above. Um, Old old things passing away, all things becoming new. The next piece of furniture represents um, being washed in the word. And in that realm, there are a lot of denominations, uh, Bible uh, church things, uh, para-church Bible study groups, and so on and so forth. Around the the, uh, the first altar, the burnt altar, that represents people who, who focus again and again and again, you must be born again, you must be born again. Baptists love being around that altar. And then the, uh, you know, uh, uh, various different Bible study groups love being around that laver. Those two pieces of furniture encompass a large part of, of what we call today uh, evangelical uh, fundamentalist Christians. Moving a little bit further, you have to, to get into the holy place, you have to go through a door and another curtain. And in that realm are three pieces of furniture. You have the altar of incense, you have the table of showbread, and you have the menorah. And each of these three pieces of furniture represent what certain other denominations specialize and do that are quite different than those that focus around those two pieces of furniture in the outer court. In the holy place realm are what you would call today the Pentecostals and the Charismatics. In the holy place, there is the altar of, uh, of incense, which represents worship, represents praise. And if you notice, the Pentecostals and Charismatics love to worship and love to praise God and love to raise their hands and love to shout hallelujah and even love to dance, um... And that's, you know, that that altar typifies that kind of an expression. In the holy place, we also have the menorah, which represents, you know, light comes from that. That's the only source of light in that place. And if you take a look at Pentecostals and Charismatics, um, they they understand things differently than those on the outside. On the outside, they understand the Bible literally. They love word-for-word translations. They read the Bible through their natural understanding. And in the outer court, you have a natural sun. You don't have, you know, you have to get into the tent in order to have a different source of light. And when you get into that tent, all of a sudden you have the light from the menorah. And the and that uh, light that comes from it, it comes out of olive oil. But that olive oil has to be produced by man and it has to be trimmed by man, which represents that that the light, the understanding, the revelation in that realm, uh, there's a mixture of man and God. Um, but in that realm, people are more comfortable with words of knowledge. They're more comfortable with dreams and visions. You know, They don't have a problem with saying, brother, I have a word for you. In the outer court, that would never fly. Also in the holy place is the table of showbread, which represents the will of God and which represents strength and if you notice that people in that that holy place realm, they're much more zealous. They're they're much more determined to become holy. Um, they're a, a a notch up from those people that are in the outer court in terms of you know a desire to be holy and to be like God. So so that holy place realm we're talking about Pentecostals and Charismatics, but that's not the end of the story. There's another room and that's the most holy place and that's what i'm talking about my hunger for this corporate expression that i've been sharing for the last hour or so it has to do with moving from that uh, holy place realm into the most holy place realm and in the most holy place realm there's only one piece of furniture and that's the ark of the covenant And the Ark of the Covenant, the seat on that is the love seat of God. It's the mercy seat. In the holy place, there's pure love, pure mercy, pure grace. In the most holy place, we have this mercy seat, a covering, if you will. And under that covenant covering, in a box, all closed up for nobody to see, are the tablets of stone. On which the Ten Commandments were written, and they're hidden away. In that box is Aaron's rod, which produced life while it was yet dead. And in that box is a jar of of what looks like white marriander seed. It was the leftover manna from from uh, Israel when they were in the wilderness. What do we have here? We have a rod that produces life. We have two stone tablets. You know, in the Old Testament. Uh, testicles were called stones. And we have this white meriander seed. Get the picture. What we have here is a masculine male expression of, of, of producing life. That's what we have. In that room is the very presence of God, who is life. In that very room, we have the very light of God we have perfect revelation perfect understanding three components three different sources of light three different dimensions of understanding and three different under, three different structures of law in that most holy place when you get there and you're going to sit sit somewhere You're going to sit on pure mercy, absolute pure gold, between two cherubim. And in between there is the very fire of God. The Bible says our God is an all-consuming fire. And if you want to be a part of this expression that I'm talking about, if you're afraid of fire... If uh, you've got a bunch of hellfire doctrine inside of you and, and, and you're and you're you know, fearful <laughs> of God, you're not going there. Perfect love casts out all fear. On the day of Pentecost, 2,000 years ago, 120 people came together in a place, some people say it was the upper room. Some people say that it was in the courtyard of uh, of the temple. I won't debate with the scholars as to where it was, but they came together in one mind and in one accord, and they waited on the Lord. They obeyed the living Word of Jesus Christ, and in the fullness of time. Tongues of fire descended upon their heads. Glory descended upon their heads. Life descended upon their heads. And gave them utterances. And they became 120 silver trumpets. And went out into the streets of Jerusalem. And they declared the wonderful works of God. They didn't boast in themselves. They didn't boast in their works. The only boast that they had was in the work, the will, the ways of God. And what happened? 3,000 souls were added to Christ's body in one day. Now, it's not an accident that 3,000 came into the body. The number 3,000 symbolizes something, and I won't get into that. But if you, know, if you notice, on another Pentecost, where another law was given, the law of Moses, on that day, when the Ten Commandments were given, 3,000 people died. But when the law of the Spirit of the life in Christ Jesus was given, and when the ushering in of a new Israel, a new uh, creation man came into birth under the new covenant, um, 3,000 people were added to Christ's body. What do we call that? <laughs> we call it, That's power evangelism. But what, what it really is, is life. You know, Jesus, when he walked this earth, um, he didn't get married and he couldn't experience the joy of bringing a child into this earth. I'm a father of a, of a daughter and a son and I can say that, that perhaps the greatest joy that two people who are in love with each other and who come together and conceive and bring a life into this earth, there's nothing more joyful uh, than that, than to reproduce and to bring another human being into this earth. Jesus denied himself of that joy on this side of the grave, that he might have a fullness of joy he said that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him he knew what was going to happen when he was resurrected because he knew that through his resurrection a new creation man was going to come forth from that other side and he would bring many sons to glory through what he did at the cross and he would build a new creation man of which he was the head and that body that new creation person Uh, has been taking dead in their sins and trespasses uh, souls and sinners in Adam, the old Adam, and bringing them into this new creation man. Eighteen years ago, Gary Emerald, uh, an atheist, a God-hater, was captured, was redeemed, was ransomed by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I was added to that body I was added as a living stone to that city, New Jerusalem, whose maker is God. There's coming a day in this corporate expression, these small groups, in which we will come together under the headship of Jesus Christ, and we will be perfectly aligned, and we will be in one mind, and we will be of one accord, and we will put off the sins of this world. We will put off the cares of this world. We'll put off our job concerns and our marital concerns and all the yuck and whatever, and we'll come together and we'll wait on our husband. The church or the body of Christ or the, the assemblies, it's a feminine word. God did that on purpose. We will come under the headship of Jesus Christ. And in our worship, we will express mad love towards him. And a dynamic is going to come forth from that corporate worship and waiting on God. That when 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 God comes upon us by the power of his Holy Spirit, in the fullness of this joy that Jesus wants to express in this earth, we are going to offer up such a worship and such a praise that people will come out of the streets in our communities and be drawn to what we are doing and ask us, what must I do to be saved? What is going on here? I have to be a part of it. That's the kind of evangelism that I long for and that I think that I'm going to see in the days ahead a reverse evangelism. We're going to be so caught up and so in love with Jesus that when we express our love and our worship to him in praise and worship, that creation itself is going to say, what is going on in that house? I have to be a part of it. And we are going to set creation free in that kind of a manner. The manifestation of the sons of God. We're going to come together in such a joyful worshipful, prayerful, praiseful state that that the dead in creation will wake up and say, what is going on in that place? I want a piece of it. The Super Bowl, the the entertainment games, Hollywood, Broadway, all of these things that the world lusts after and chases after, all tarnish and it's all dead. And when we do this thing lawfully and right, we're going to turn their heads. And, and assemblies are going to be a joyful place to be. It's going to be what is happening in the world. Corporate expressions of the body of Christ. Like I said before, when we do this, when the Holy Spirit descends upon us, and we are truly of one mind and one accord, and, and He has our attention... And we're not diverted by our sins, and not diverted by traditions of men, and not diverted by doctrines of demons, but are 100% devoted to uh, to His attention. The body of Christ is going to manifest life in in that expression that we see in the Bible. One has a hymn, one has a song, one has a miracle, one has a uh, an intercession. Uh, the least in the body is going to participate. And when the Holy Spirit plays us as one piano, he's going to hit every key. It is not going to be, you know, one note, pastor, and then maybe another note, worship leader, and maybe another note, evangelist. In this expression, that is unlawful. That will be not accepted. And the Holy Spirit will not uh, uh, validate that expression in the days ahead. What he's going to validate is a corporate, many-membered manifestation, where, where the least is a priest. David's tabernacle is uh, is another expression of that. The reason why we're called Tent Maker Ministries, by the way, is not because of. Uh, um, uh, because we're named after Paul and his ministry is tent tent making. Uh, Paul is one of my favorite apostles, but that's not why we're called Tentmaker Ministries. The Lord gave us the name uh, Tentmaker after David's tabernacle. David's tabernacle on Mount Zion uh, had the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, on top of Mount Zion with the flaps open where everybody could see it. King David... Represented the triple anointing, priesthood, king, and prophet. He had it all. King David was a worshiper of God. He had no problem taking his kingly garments, taking his glory off, and dancing before the ark through the streets in front of everyone. There are millions and millions of Christians who would be embarrassed. They would be like Mikkel, his wife. <laughs> um... They just can't uh, let it all hang out just can't do it so David's tabernacle um, is a type of what I'm talking about here David's tabernacle uh, a tabernacle is uh, is a tent and guess what we're tents we are habitations for the Lord we are, are, are you know, tents are, are moving things they're not permanent things and this body, you know, moves. We are a habitation of God, and so David's uh, tabernacle, with with God's presence in it, represents this day, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But this expression that we're coming into is going to be greater than the than the symbol that David represented. David's tabernacle was on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. But the Bible clearly tells us that there's a greater Mount Zion, which is Mount Hermon to the north of Israel, in which, where I believe... uh, Jesus was was, uh, transfigured on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon represents a lot of things, and I can't get into it all. One of the things it represents is the very water, all the water that uh, that Israel has, it comes from Mount Hermon. Jordan, the River Jordan comes from there. But the greatest amount of water that that keeps Israel alive, even to this day, is the dew that comes from Mount Hermon at night. The winds blow this dew, and it waters the, the, the grasses and keeps it fresh. Do in the Bible represents teaching. So, Tent, make, tent Maker Ministries, uh, one of our publication is called Do from Mount Hermon. So, the, the, those two words, the Tabernacle of David, Tent Maker, and uh, Do from Mount Hermon, the Greater Mount Zion, um, uh, Hermon, these, these are, are words that symbolize what Tentmaker is all about. Tentmaker is about uh, equipping the saints to bring them to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. We want to offer in the days ahead to those who are bearing witness to what I'm saying right now. If, if your holy if your heart right now is saying this guy is saying something that is right. I don't understand it all, but my heart hungers for this thing. Uh, like like his heart is hungering for it. If that's you, then write us um Email us, visit our website. We'd like to, uh, to give you some literature. We'd like to uh, provide leadership for you to uh, begin to help you bring a manifestation of what I'm talking about into your community. Um, Maker Ministries is about bringing uh, saints to maturity. And maturity involves life. It involves the ability to reproduce. And the most holy place is where that love seat is, where that mercy seat is, is where the life of God is, is where we can corporately come together in spirit and in truth and worship the Father, which is what Mount Hermon Represents. Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in that region. It's the only one that's snow covered. It's 10,000 feet high, five times higher than the Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And we're entering into that day where God is moving from physical Israel to Damascus. (laughs) That's where Paul went when he went to uh, crucify people because that, that's where the church moved. When, when there was all kind of problem in, in Israel, people don't know, but, uh, but the church moved north. It moved to Damascus. Mount Hermon is what represents what we're about to enter into today. And it represents God the Father being restored to his rightful place in the whole scheme of things. For the last 2,000 years, Jesus Christ has been the the focus, the Lamb of God, which takes away the the sin of the world, and rightfully so. But Jesus came to this earth to subdue all the enemies of God the Father. One of the enemies of God the Father is in the church itself. If you take a look at the Roman Catholic Church, for example, God the Father has taken a bad rap. They've exalted Mary uh, and made her the mother of God and have people praying to her because God the Father is too mean and too judgmental and too nasty and too quick to, you know, to flick you into uh, eternity uh, in hell or wh- whatever. Don't go to him. Go to Mary. She'll soften him up. That's the kind of thing that the, that, that the church has done. And the, and the Protestant expression is just a little bit behind the, the Roman Catholic expression in this. But in, in the days ahead, God the Father is going to be restored to his rightful position. Jesus within his body is going to bring proper teaching and we're going to understand that God the Father was in Christ on the cross reconciling the world to himself. That there is no difference between the Son and the Father. Even though through tradition and our teachings in the past there seems to be that that Jesus was the one who was able to lay down his life for his enemies But God the Father couldn't. In the days ahead, in this new expression, that's going to be corrected. God the Father is going to take his rightful and lawful and glorious place in his body of Christ. And there will be some radical new changes that most of the older expressions will not be able to handle. The charismatic, Pentecostal, restoration, Holiness, Catholic.